you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the all-new Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the all-new 2022 Nissan Frontier. With standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-foot of torque. The Traveler's Inn, Tangled Scheme, Episode 8, Flailing to Launch. Luna pushed the people on the roof into the small room on top of the tower, making space for Manx as he guided more people into the already crowded area. Gunther burst onto the rooftop, three small children in his arms. Maybe you aren't all ego. The priestess muttered, waving the big man past her. The barbarian stared at her, confused. The warrior, lost and in a daze, just following his feet without thought, and probably hadn't even heard the words. The teeny blue dragon hovered to one side, her head pivoting as she guarded Gunther. Moments passed, and then a last person emerged from the billowing smoke. Moggets. The man flew upward, a gout of flame following his flopping, flying figure. The rooftop behind the priestess wobbled, a sharp cracking noise drawing her attention. She turned to see the stones rippling like the surface of a lake, then erupting upward in a geyser of rock. The priestess watched as smaller components of the roof go up and the mage come down. He hit the ground, landing on a giant, bulging bag strapped to his back. You looted the damn place? Luna growled, eyeing his backpack. People were dying, and you took the time to grab things to sell? You're filth, you greedy bastard. Mogus didn't respond, his gaze darting between the objects on the landing. Standing, he wheezed and panted, stifling a coughing fit. Do you even hear me? The warrior woman curled her fist into a ball and drew it back. The priestess's fist connected with the wizard's nose and the man crumpled back to the ground. The ballista! Moggets gagged. Leaning to one side, he spat a glob of thick gray phlegm mixed with the blood that wound its way across his upper lip and pulled in the corner of his mouth. The mage lunged forward his hand sliding along a sleek emerald and polished silver stand that supported a magical globe. His mind shifted from the world he knew to somewhere else. It danced along razor-thin wires of perception and reality as it left his body behind. Mogitz was on the furthest edge of a spider's web that didn't exist in his world, but was more real in this magical reality he'd entered when he touched a sphere on the pedestal. Something pulsed at the center, a slither of a whisper sliding along his awareness. His ethereal feet moved of their own accord, drawing him down 
a wide funnel and deeper into the electric blue of the energy arcing through the air. That same energy created the webs which Mogget stood on. With that realization, the mage pulled himself to a stop. He struggled against the automatic moving of his non-corporeal limbs that were urged to answer a silent siren song of something in the center of this vortex. Mogget jittered backwards. Falling, he caught himself on his hands and crabbed walked backwards. The image of a spider trying to escape from a child after that child had pulled off four of its legs, came to mind. Vibrations caught the man's attention, and the language of the pulses tickled at his perception. He hesitated, trying to figure out if he'd actually understood it. It couldn't be that easy, could it? Morgus thought, meaning to say it out loud. There's something here, something dark, and foreign, lurking in the center of an event horizon that could catapult dozens of worlds and even a handful of realities into chaos and threaten to annihilate them. The hunger and the urge to devour those within reach washed over the mage, the desire to purge the universe of the weaker and lesser beings overcame the man. Launch the attack, was the urgent side of Mogget's. Feed the queen and conquer the realms. The wizard ripped a thread from the web of lies, deceit, and energy under his hands, the surrounding area collapsing and unraveling. Information flooded into his mind, filling it with the secrets of the world he lived in bleed over from other realities, pushed at his perception, and the larger picture washed over him. So much opportunity. He tore himself from that tangle webbed and launched his mind back into his physical body. <coughs> but the kid pranks on it, the wizard coughed and fire it. The priestess hesitated, looking from the device in the round room to the mage. The small building was open to the night, a short fence lining its perimeter. A huge crossbow-like contraption sat in the center. It was large enough for a man to lie on it. It's magical. And that crystal ball, Mogus continued, pointing at an orb swirling with lightning and blue mist, controls it, and it's aimed towards Salami. It'll send people there, I swear. I've double-checked this personally. The tower is burning. It's the only way. Luna watched a man fall to the ground, hacking. To hell with you, wizard, she spat. But I will do as you say, but you go last, and I hope to Aretha that you burn. The authority and the tone the priestess used offered no room for argument, and Manx climbed aboard. Mogus lurched to his feet, still lugging his overfilled pack, and slapped one hand on the war machine and the other on the glass sphere. The mage muttered a word, and Manx shot into the night, a scream of surprise echoing into the darkness, 
Boontha, get on, Moggets croaked. The barbarian didn't question the wizard for once and climbed on, Blueberry flitting around the man with concern. With another muttered magical phrase in a language long hidden from the world, the northern warrior shot into the night. The dragon launched herself after Gunther, disappearing into the distance. Luna? Moggets looked at the priestess. I will go, traitorous mage. But, the warrior woman reached down and tore the backpack from the arcane trickster. I will take this and keep it until you prove to me you can be trusted. She punched him in the face just one more time. He jerked backwards, his hands flying to his thrice-shattered nose. Climbing on top of the war machine, she held up her middle finger to the mage. The wizard looked at her. The thought of launching her across the woods towards the unexplored areas entering his realm of consideration. But then again, he would have done pretty close to what she'd done if their positions had been reversed, if he had any muscle tone and upper body strength. He slapped the ball of glass and the woman launched into the night sky. The flail in her hand, an artifact she'd recovered somewhere below after savaging the lord of the manor with table legs, smashing the orb of power. A trailing scream followed her trajectory as it wobbled away from the tower. The orb crackled and a sphere of energy burst from it, catching the villagers and tossing them over the side of the tower. Blue bubbles of magic surrounded them and the wind tossed them in all directions. They floated away at the whim air currents. At least you're safe, Mogus muttered. Guess it didn't get me because I was anchored by the ballista and the... He turned his head to stare at his only escape route. The globe was shattered, and pieces lay scattered across the stones at his feet. He stared at the magical conduit that would have launched him towards the town that had been threatened for months. The top of the tower exploded again, causing Mongets to jump, widening the already sizable hole in the center. Stones larger than a powerful man's thigh burst into the sky. A sinister, shadowy shape rose from the burning depths below. The boxy form of the master of the house levitated into view of the trickster magician that had faked most of his career. Mogitz watched as Derek, the mini-son and encased caster of the arcane, came level with his line of sight. Oh, shit! The broken mage breathed his body laying halfway across the war weapon that no longer functioned because of a priestess of respect breaking the magical conduit of transportation. Aretha may be the goddess of respect, but that wasn't terribly precise. The sisterhood of that specific religion often demanded certain mental and social caveats without backing it up with logic of why people should do those specific things. But Luna was specific. She wanted that respect due to her fighting prowess, her strength of will and personality, and never because she was charming or attractive. Fair enough, Mogus muttered while shaking his head to the contrary, but she should let herself be more than just respected, because humans are barely more than just dumb monkeys that jump up and down when something cool happens. Something like her showing up. The mage turned to look at his enemy and rival rising above the broken rock and mortar 
wondering what he could do to defeat such an impressive foe. Then it came to him. The one way to make sure that a being of power would acknowledge and bow to someone of significantly less ability and back down from a confrontation of ego. The gods have spoken to me! Moggett's intoned in a flamboyant and over-the-top tone. And they have said that you and your matron have been found wanting and lacking. You are both less than they expected. You have failed. And that's why a ragtag group of misfits who can't even relate or bond to one another because of emotional and psychological issues, Moggett's kept talking. The words and concepts growing larger with each syllable. He peppered the sentences with these and thous, shants and shalls. The being of immense power hovering centered over the hole in the tower hesitated. The mage on the ballista took advantage of this moment, casting the simplest of spells in his arsenal of words. Believe in me because you can't handle your own issues, was the most basic of messages. But it had worked countless times throughout time and history. The flood of doubt from the man washed across Moggins, and Derek slumped in his makeshift coffin. Moggins knew that he himself had no genuine power or ability. His magic lay in the mundane, in the simple ability of empathy in triggering others. He was a conduit, a catalyst to the power from others. Maybe if he'd studied for the last few decades instead of running cons and scams, he'd be further along that track. The mage pulled in the emotional energy from his enemy, a tainted mix of uncertainty and power, the feeling of failure and doubt. Filled him. He felt the power flow through him, a trickle of emotion and intent. Growing as the enemy staggered under the weight of his own confidence issues, the elements answered his suggestion, rising to the beckoning of Moggitz's own minor talent. The trickle became a stream, and the stream became a river. The river changed to a torrent, and the magics caused the mage to stiffen in a rictus of sensation that bordered on pain. He felt weightless and realized that the trees were spinning away below him. He called upon the elements of fire and wind to pull the magical orb of power back into its original form. Mockets' awareness expanded. Seeing the orb that had directed his path clatter to the stones and roll into the burning hole at the center, the tower exploded behind him. The master, Derek, tilted in his casing and plummeted into the inferno. Spiders, seen as dots of reddish energy, darted from the area, heading into the forest. The creatures, which ranged in size from a thumbnail to a horse, ran away from the tower and toward Salami, 
Hordes of the creatures spilled from the shattered building, pushing out from the broken windows underneath the foundation and through cracks in the walls. The area was carpeted with thousands of arachnids, legs moving in a hypnotic pattern, driven in the direction that the magic was focused. He'd done as the mother had commanded. He'd released the attack upon Salami. He'd failed in saving the village and the magic urged him to follow the flow of energy to finish the job. The mage's magical awareness looked towards his and the spiders below. Destination. And he saw he was just slightly off course. Luna landed, hitting the soft loam of a tilled field at the edge of the village. She rolled, the flail she still clutched, slamming into the earth like an anchor. She lost her grip in the weapon, tumbling over again and again, coming to rest on her back. The sound of Gunther's voice, shouting commands, came to her ears as she caught her breath. The barbarian was directing defenses to be constructed, and for people to arm themselves. Tiggy's voice rose above the big man's instructions. Why the hell should we listen to you, you big dumb oaf? The old woman's shrill question cut through the hubbub of other voices. You're just a brute, and we don't think you have the sense that the gods gave to a drunken snail. The priestess sighed and sat up. Mank stood to one side, picking at his fingernails, looking bored, as usual. The young man shifted and glared around him, eyeing the shadows of the buildings in the late afternoon sun with dual longing. He wanted to get out of the sun, understandable since he was dressed all in black, and use him to disappear, his forte. Bernie the blacksmith stood with his arms crossed just behind his grandmother, glaring at the northern warrior. Standing up, Luna dragged the flail from the fertile soil. Her first step staggered, but she pulled herself upright, and her shoulders back with the next three steps. By the time she stood beside Gunther, she was at what she thought of as her professional posture. People treated her differently, depending on how she stood. When she was young, she'd hunch her shoulders and drop her chin, folding her hands in front of her. Oh, the other convent girls would tease and mock her without remorse. It didn't help that she'd been a broad-shouldered girl with gangly limbs and knees and elbows that resembled knots in a cord. Even the sisters sneered at her, and Luna wasn't even sure if they knew they were doing it. When combat training had started, Luna's body had changed. Part of that was the progression of puberty, but part of it was the sculpting process that came with daily exercise. The muscles on her legs and arms filled out, meeting with those large joints that had stuck out before, melding into one limb, tone and strength showing in every movement. People had treated Luna differently than before. But she'd been young, and without even knowing she did it, she pushed too far in the other direction. The girls who had once teased her received sound drubbings, and the sisters who had once scorned her received glares that could have made a horse climb a ladder. During those years, or had it only been months, it was hard to tell, 
She'd walked around with her shoulders too far back, her chest leading the way everywhere she went. Her chin was too far up, causing her to look down on people. When she walked, she moved with her legs a little too far apart and took strides that were a little too long. Every movement she made was a challenge to anyone in front of her. And when she hunched her shoulders and brought her hands in front of her, well, it differed from how it had been before. Instead of looking meek and deflated, she now looked like she was about to sacrifice you to some dark whim of her own. But she'd grown out of that phase also and had practiced her stances. The meek one was rarely handy, but sometimes helped when dealing with someone who had an ego. While being defiant would lock them down, being humble made them give you their blessing. The psychopathic posture of shoulders forward, muscles rippling, chin dropped and glaring up at someone through hooded eyes was handy when intimidating people with their impending and unavoidable beatdown. But that middle ground of shoulders just slightly back, chin up just a little, and a calm but serious look on her face, that was the magical comfort zone that worked in almost every instance. It made people listen when she spoke, her confidence and poise making them give way without feeling like they had to. It was a posture of leadership without question, and people responded to it. Luna stepped up to stand beside Gunther, one hand on her hip, the other holding the meter-long handle with the flail, its spiked metal ball dragging behind her. We ain't gonna listen to you! Tiggy was griping. You're nothing more than a blowhard that needs coddled for the sake of his own ego. Listen, old woman, Gunther growled. You gotta get everyone to move the wagons and whatever else you got to this side of town. Create a barricade to slow down the monsters that'll be coming this way. Did you see them coming? Bernie huffed. No, but I... Gunther's voice rose in frustration. Then we don't have anything to worry about, Tiggy cut him off. They've been there long enough, and we've been here even longer. I don't think they're going to change their habits now. They're animals, and they don't change what they do because you fell from the sky yelling that it's falling. They are, and they are, and he's right, Luna interrupted the interrupter. We've just flown here using a magical launcher, and we blew up the master of the tower and his girlfriend. Didn't you see the explosion from here? Well, yes, Tiggy said slowly, Bernie nodding behind her. But we hoped that meant everything was dead. But if you say we need to get ready, then we will. And, Luna went on, you will listen to Gunther about the defenses. He's from a powerful barbarian tribe that has done exactly this same thing. From both sides, defense and offense, many times. He knows how to set things up to give us the best chance to not just survive, but to win this. I do. Gunther gaped at Luna, the surprise of her support throwing him off. I do. I did. I mean, I have. I can help. The big man tripped over the words, trying to recover. Great, Gunther. You take over the village defenses, and I will organize people. Manx? Luna looked around for the rogue. The slim figure peeled himself from the shadows of the inn and sauntered towards her. 
He looked like he had bitten into a bad olive, his face sour, glaring around at the people like he'd rather be somewhere else. Luna smiled at the lad as he walked up. Good, she said. Find the holes. Find the dark places, the shadows and gaps where these things will come in. Get some oil or traps laid down and be ready to set them off if we need to. They're spiders, though, Bernie grunted. How can he know what they'll do? And do we really want this kid lighting our wagons and stuff on fire? He is our spider specialist. Luna said, meeting the blacksmith's eyes. He knows these creatures and what their weaknesses are, their tactics, and so on. If anyone can do it, he can. And it's better to lose some tables, chairs, and carts than to lose your lives. Isn't it? Yeah, Manx sighed. That's right. I need a team to help cover the things I set up. Great! Luna clapped her hands. Bernie, you're with Gunther. Tiggy, Get Manx some people. Let's do this. Great, dearie. Tiggy linked her arm through Luna's. And I'm with you. Us powerful women gotta stick together. Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts.